if you want to. I mean, you can stand if you want to, too. We don't judge. You can do whatever you want here. Um, I want to start today with kind of an interesting idea. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but I was always one of those guys that thinks about funny things. Um, Money. Intrinsically, everything we know with money is complete make-believe. Paper money. It's just, it's, it's a piece of cloth, actually, with a little bit of fancy ink on it. It has some plastic. You can watch it made, but it doesn't mean anything. Uh, you might say, well, gold. Well, gold's just, again, it's make-believe also. We just pick, people like gold. It's pretty. There's some industrial uses for it. But really, the only kind of money that really exists is trade, meaning cows or goats, one or the other. But we've, we found is over time is that uh, when we start becoming specialized as, as human beings, that uh, if you need to get something from your neighbor, you had to have a medium of exchange. And again, the only really honest one is, is your cow. So I want some popcorn. I go to Safeway and I bring my cow. That's inconvenient. And if you're buying something big, you might need a lot of cows. And so they tried to come up with, okay, what are ways we can count something that's easy to put in your pocket that is like a cow. And that's where they started coming up with money. And they they came up with all these weird ideas for money. They used rocks with stuff on it. They used salt for a while. They they like precious metals, uh, rubies, gems, things that are pretty, but none of them truly have any value. It's a a make-believe that we all collectively agree to participate in. Now, electronics are honest about it. There's no thing that you hold on to. It's just a number on an account. That's a very honest way of doing your, your accounting, but it's still, it's, it's, it's not a cow, right? And I don't know what the exchange rate for cows is nowadays for like a car or for a bus ticket, but it's probably not real convenient either. The longest, oh, by the way, if you buy, if this is all true, I'm not making any of this up, um, but if you find that paper money is worthless to you now that you know it's all make-believe, I, will, I'll, I don't want it to go to waste. I did, you know, we'll put it to good use if you want to drop it off. Because I pretend really well. Um, anyways, the longest means of accounting that we've ever used on the planet, because it's just not convenient to carry cows around, is the coin. And this is a, an Athenian coin from uh, the old Greeks, and that's actually supposed to be Athena on the coin. But a coin has no value either. Even the the precious metal it's made out of is just a means of counting things. I mean, if you had a big pile of gold, what would you do with it, right? I mean, there's some industrial uses for gold and precious metals, but really, it's just pretty. We like it. Anyways, the Athenians would have these coins. These were made, and the way you make these, this is an interesting thing, is you... um, generally make a mold out of something, and then you'd, like, they started with sand. And you would take a metal, and you'd get it hot, and you would pour it into the mold, and you'd compress it and apply pressure. And then when the the mold cooled, you had this rough metal coin, and then they had to be trimmed because the the molds weren't perfect. You had to trim the edges of, and that metal that came off, the value of the coin was based on weight. Makes sense. And if you were a trimmer and you trimmed a little extra, well, you get to recast that metal. You can make a few more coins. And so um, the trimmers became a really important person, the metalsmiths. And in Athens, even in ancient Athens, they had over 80 laws on the books to deal with how you trim the money. 
because it had to be valued. And the trimmers that were men of integrity, that had reputation that was good, that were honorable, that were um, very, very exact, they were called dokimos, which means approved. Now is what the men were called. They were called approved men because their coins were genuine. They were authentic. They had the appropriate weight and the appropriate value. And this morning, as we talk about this little passage out of 2 Timothy, I want you to keep that in mind, this idea of these coins that were just right, that were trustworthy, dokimos. It's a nice letter we have here, this uh, letter from Paul to Timothy. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about that this idea, this idea of passing it on, that like a baton in a track meet or the mantle of leadership, that this old man Paul who's at the very end of his life, and this is, uh, scholars would agree, this is his last letter. This is kind of, he's really not going to live much longer, and he's wanting to get some things down and pass on what he knows and pass on his authority and his leadership on to Timothy. And he wrote these letters, and passing things on, just like in a track meet, is very important. Uh, In a track, there's a lot of danger in handing off a baton in a race, In leadership, there's a lot of danger in passing from one person to the old person because we kind of get attached to people. And Paul's really worried about Timothy, or very concerned, has great regard for this. And so this letter is really about passing things on. And uh, we talked about the central idea of the letter is to preach the word. And that's what Paul's really encouraging Timothy to preach the word. And we kind of, or at least I, for, again, this is also kind of arbitrary, kind of broke down the letter into like six parts. We did a, an introduction a couple weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the idea of passing on suffering, the privilege of suffering, and that Paul was passing that on to Timothy. Today, we're going to talk about the idea of passing on wisdom, and we're going to look at kind of the longest stretch of uh, the, the book here, where it's like all of chapter two, part of chapter three. And then next week, we'll talk about readiness, and then the calling, and then we'll wrap it up in the second week of September with passing it on and kind of summarize it. Last week, we talked about this guy a little bit as a great example of passing on suffering. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had one of the cooler titles in the world. He was an anti-Nazi Lutheran warrior, priest, writer, and theologian. He was pretty cool. He saved a lot of people, both physically saved them from the Nazis and spiritually saved them with the power of Jesus Christ and his word. He wrote and influenced a lot of people, and he had this nice quote about that it's a privilege to join in suffering that that's part of our Christian calling is that we shouldn't be at all surprised or ashamed by having to suffer for Christ, and that's that's to be expected, and that's how Christ works. Christ suffered, we're going to suffer, and that's okay. Today, this section with the central idea that we want to come back to and that everything will revolve around is the question of what's important to Paul. And in this section, under the overall heading of It's important to preach the word, but the passage we're going to look at, what's important to Paul is that Timothy has a strong testimony, that Timothy is going to be an authentic man, and that coin idea is going to come back up a couple times, okay? So that's what we're going to take a look at. Our key verse, um, we'll kind of dig into the verse and look at some of the words very closely, but the key verse is 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
This seems really familiar, this passage. Be diligent. An approved workman of God does not need to be ashamed. That seems really, really familiar. Ah, Awana. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Did you guys know that? I knew that. <laughs> okay, there we go. Approved, that's where Awana comes from. It's, a, it's their key verse is 2.15 out of Second Timothy. Awana is a club that we have on Wednesday nights during the school year. Uh, it's for kids. Uh, there's three little clubs of it. Kids memorize scripture. They do fun stuff. It's an incredibly cool program. If you never have come down on a Wednesday night and watched Awana, it's it, worth your time. It's one of the primary ministries of Grace Point Church. This portion of scripture is brought to you by Awana. I want you to come to Awana. Okay, so as I like to do, we observe first. What do we see? What's it say? And then we talk about, okay, what does it mean? And then we kind of, okay, what do we do about that? If that's what it says, that's what it means, so what? So first off, what does it say? And I want to break down what it says. So all of chapter 2 and the first bit in chapter 3 really comes down to three parts. There's some guidance from Paul to Timothy. There's some warnings from Paul to Timothy. And then Paul, being a phenomenal teacher, has some examples. Very quickly, I want to move through those. Um, Guidance first up. Verse 1, chapter 2, be strong. Good guidance there. Use other leaders. Verse 2, okay, rely on people. You're, You're not doing this by yourself, Timothy. Uh, remember Jesus Christ, which a whole big passage from 8 to 13 in chapter 2. Don't be ashamed, another order in 15. He kind of summarized a lot, but you might say, he says, pursue good things and avoid bad things. Be with good people, avoid hanging around around bad people. Uh, from 2.22 and 3, the first five verses of chapter 3. Twice in this section, he says, don't get into stupid arguments. 14 through 20 of chapter 2, and then 23. Uh, Be kind, be patient at the end of chapter 2. Interesting. Don't get into stupid arguments. Be kind and be patient. This was written in 66 AD, a couple thousand years before social media. And yet, it's still relevant today. Don't get into dumb arguments. Be kind, be patient. Uh, Paul gives some warnings. Gives some warnings to young Timothy. Uh, He spends many verses, 3, 9, 12, and the first of uh, chapter 3, you're going to suffer, okay? Don't be surprised. Don't think that your spiritual life is dependent on your circumstances. You can be having tremendous spiritual growth and excitement and reliance on God when your circumstances are horrifying, okay? People that have been stricken ill, people that were in the middle of, I mean, camps and refugees and people that are struggling, sometimes are at their spiritual high point. You don't say, yay, I'm suffering, and yet it's true. It's, uh, it's part of our life. Um, in athletics, if you want to be stronger physically, you have to train. You have to lift weights. You have to run farther than you'd prefer to run. That builds you up. And spiritually, I believe it kind of works the same way. We're built up spiritually through challenges. Okay, if your attitude is right, you understand it for what it is. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't get sucked into your circumstances. Be, expect suffering. He also reminds you to avoid being selfish, avoid arguments again. The first five verses of chapter 3 are really kind of this overall warning of different things. And then Paul provides a whole bunch of examples 
um, examples of discipline, of love, of uh, there's a goal out there that you're suffering for the greater good. He gives the example of a soldier. Soldiers are very disciplined. And a soldier reports to someone above them. And that, that's a, a metaphor for the Christian life. He talks about athletes. Paul, I'm pretty sure, was either a jock or was a, a big fan of athletics. Because athletics come up all the time in his writings. In this case, it's uh, you've got to follow the rules. You know, if you're a runner, you can't, like, start halfway down the track. That, that doesn't work. So runners are disciplined. They follow the rules, just like you should as a Christian. Follow what's going on. And then he gives another one of a farmer, that a farmer, if wants to produce a crop, a farmer has to be disciplined. They have to follow. There's rules of farming. Not that it's enforced. Well, it is enforced. It's enforced by, you know, when things grow or if you don't water them, you're going to have a pretty poor crop. And if you're doing the right things, you're going to be rewarded for that. In the same way that a runner who runs well and follows the rules is rewarded and a soldier who follows the rules and does very well is usually rewarded and moved up in rank. So these are all great things that are examples uh, for Timothy that Paul's pointing out, and we get to listen in on and learn from ourselves. He also talks about uh, that you've got to watch out for people who aren't willing to suffer. Uh, they're going to avoid that, and that, that's not helpful. And he gives the example of uh, vessels, bad pots, and that's a, a great, sometimes overused metaphor for each one of us, that we're a broken pot, that God sees great beauty in and fills us with his righteousness. And anything we do that's good had nothing to do with the pot. It had to do with what was in the pot. He also points out a couple of villains from the Old Testament. Um, and all of those, the guidance, the warnings, the examples, are very clear and straightforward. They're the, the easy to understand. And so that's what it says. Be a productive member of God's family, Timothy. Be useful to God, Timothy. Have a good testimony, Timothy. And the overall context of the entire book is preach the word. So when Paul's saying this to Timothy, and this little section is about have a good testimony and guidance, warnings, and examples, it's so that Timothy can preach well. That's kind of the end goal for Timothy and, and for us as well. So work at it. Don't be ashamed. Have confidence in using the word. And so now I want to flip to the key verse today. This kind of how I, when we don't have a year to teach the, this passage, we got to kind of brush over a little bit and then dig in on a couple. We're going to dig in on a couple words, uh, these words specifically, the four. We talked about ashamed last week. So if you missed it, go listen to it on the internet and get caught up right now. We'll wait. Okay, we're going to move on. Three words, diligent, approved, and workman. The Iwana verses, which are all pretty darn cool. First one is diligent. <clears throat> Be diligent. Make haste. Do this quickly. The grammar says, do it now. Don't wait. Get doing it and don't stop doing it. Have zealous. Have zeal. Be zealous. Eagerly be about this work. Be diligent. It's, uh, the idea is there's a, I, an item of being fast to do this and do it well. And those are kind of combined there with this word. Uh, passionate, hard work. And the Nike logo is there because... Just do it, as they like to say. It's a good thing for being diligent. It's a, a nice one to use. Um, it's your mind plus your actions together. Uh, I think that old phrase, my utmost for his highest, goes along with being diligent. Uh, a 
theologian from Dallas Seminary by the name of Stephen Cole said this. That might be kind of small for you. Let me read it. This is quoting Stephen Cole. So many Christians are haphazard and lazy rather than diligent in their approach to God's word. They don't systematically read, study, or memorize it. If they read it at all, they jump from passage to passage, pulling verses out of context. They aren't seeking to know God and how he wants them to think, to believe, and relate to others. Their lives and relationships are falling apart because they don't search diligently to discover what God's word has for them. That's pretty strong. That's a great little example that goes along with the idea that diligence is important. God's word is important. People spend a lot of time, oh, I'm, what's God's will for me? Listening or trying to seek God's will. Well, he gave it to us in the Bible. There's a lot of things about God you can't see. But he gave us his word. And that's important. Be diligent. Approved. This is where the coin thing comes from. Okay? That's the idea of being tested. You know, the coin weighs exactly what it's supposed to weigh. It's acceptable. It's authentic. It's got integrity. Um, You temper metal with heat and pressure. You temper people the same way. Heat and pressure. Um, If you don't understand the coin, maybe a way to look at this approved idea is to look at the converse. Let me give you an example for the negative side of this. Not approved. This is, or excuse me, this was Partner Flight 394. It was flying from Oslo to Hamburg, Germany on the 8th of September, 1987. See the tail with the logo there? It's called the vertical stabilizer. And there's four bolts that hold that stabilizer onto the rest of the airplane. Those bolts are a special bolt. They're heat-treated, pressure-treated, a special grade of metal that's incredibly strong. They were approved. This aircraft on this day had not approved bolts. They were counterfeit because the real ones are very expensive. People didn't want to replace them with the authentic parts. They put in counterfeit parts, which look fine, but when they vibrate, they get loose, and then they snap. And in the middle of the flight, the four bolts snapped, and 55 people died when the plane crashed because of four little tiny bolts about that long that were looked good but were not authentic. They were not the real thing. Genuine parts are important. And when it comes to doctrine and the word of God, the truth is all that will help you. There's a lot of doctrine out there and there's a lot of people will tell you what the Bible says but won't actually show you what the Bible says. If it's fake, it's just as deadly. It can be just as destructive as the fake parts were in this aircraft. Workman, our next one. This one's pretty easy to understand. It's very straightforward. Common laborer usually meant um, in the fields is where they would come from. In fact, if you go look at other passages of the Scripture talking about, like in Matthew 9, the fields are white, the workers are few. It's that, that's that word comes from. You know, it's used for agricultural In the context of the Bible, it's always used as in you're like a farmer for God. Your employer is God. But the word, it's hard. This is like pre-John Deere agriculture. Okay, so you're sweating. This is hard work. And God's 
work is hard too. The tool you will use is God's Word. And it, it, it all kind of comes together. You're a common laborer for God, all of us. Uh, not just Pastor Knock, not just the elders, not just the deacons. Every one of us is a workman for God. So putting this all together, <clears throat> tool of the worker is the Word of God. We use the tool for his purpose. And the worker, if you think about it, if you're a worker, you work for somebody, right? And you want the approval of whoever the owner is, of the, the master, the, the owner of the property, whatever. Let me give you an example of this from back in my past. Uh, I used to coach football. I was one of the assistants here at Efreda High School. My first year here, which was quite a year to come into, I came from college into a school that hadn't lost a league game in, I think, six years. They hadn't lost a home game in even longer than that. This was a machine that was just phenomenal to be a part of. And our quarterback that year uh, was this kid, rough kid, uh, had a kind of a rough life, uh, but was a phenomenally gifted athlete. His family was a little great, awesome people, but also a little rough around the edges, you might say. And back in this time, because we were so successful, Tiger Stadium, or I guess Lions Field, I don't know, Kiwanis Field? Yeah, where we play football at the high school. I don't know what it's called. It's, you had to get there early. We'd be out setting up for pregame, and the stands would already be packed. People would come early because it was quite a show. It was kind of what you did at town, and there's nothing better on a, Anyways, I'd go on and on about how great it was. But when the game would be over when we'd win, which we almost always did, uh, the crowd would go crazy. And you could watch kids, athletes. Some of them, that was a big deal to them. They'd get really excited by that. Uh, some kids wanted the approval of the coach. That's what made the most difference to them. Some people, it was their girlfriend, their teammates. Everybody had a different motivation. But our quarterback, he was unmoved by the crowd, completely could care less. And what he would do when the game ended, he'd look up in the stands his dad. I'm going to get choked up. When his dad would smile at him, that kid lit up like a little kid. This rough, tough guy that's kind of lived on his... Anyways, the approval of the father is what he sought. Not the crowds, not his teammates, not the coach, his father. And I thought, what a great metaphor for when Paul talks about being approved workman Think about whose approval you're looking for. Because you can get the approval of all kinds of different groups. But are you seeking the approval of the Father? I think about that quarterback. That he wasn't worried about anything but the approval of the Father. What a great example for each one of us. So, we have this whole thing where we had some nice guidance, some warnings, and some examples. The central idea. What is important to Paul? And he wants preparing Timothy to take over, is that Timothy's testimony will be solid, will be authentic, will be approved so that the gospel will be clean and that people will accept it from him. Wisdom has been said it's uh, applying what you know. Knowledge applied is good wisdom. And that's what Paul's really trying to pass on to Timothy is to be wise, to apply what you know well. And so, it's what it says. It's what it means. So what? 
And this is where some people call it application, and I'm very reticent to ever use that word. And yet I feel like we should ask, so what? After we finish a passage, what, what do we do about this? That's your job. You've got to wrestle with that. But I'll tell you what I've wrestled with and what I learned about looking at this um, just as an example. But it's, this is purely me. This is not me telling you what to do. This is me sharing with you what I've learned this last couple of weeks working on this passage. <clears throat> One of the big things for me has been real clear, especially when I stand up here, is making sure what I say is approved. That if I say something, I need to be able to say it where I can rely that this is what God would say. And I'm representing him to you. And that's a very, very, very scary thing that you have to have a very um, confidence in the Holy Spirit and in what he's done in your life. And you really check yourself on what's in the word. And that's such a great example we have in Gary. Uh, We're just blessed to have Gary holds the word up higher than anything else. That's kind of a side note. Gary's pretty awesome. Um, Approved. We're responsible for what we say. Okay, I have a big mouth. That's a concern of mine in my personal life. Making sure what I say is kind, is said in the right way, even if it might be something that's not going to be happy or not accepted well, can I do it in a way that represents God well? Now, I'm an interventionist. I'm going to speak. You might be more passive or you, you, you don't want to speak. Guess what? You're just as responsible for what we, we don't say. And so my gut check of reading this is if I want to be like Timothy, to be approved and have somebody going, I've got to be careful of what I say, but I also got to think about when I choose not to say. That can be just as harmful of not saying something when we should say something. A uh, person having a bad day, reaching out to them, eh, I don't really want to do that right now, but you know what? Maybe I should. So the both sides, of sometimes we tend to think, oh, take action, take action. Sometimes it's important to, but sometimes you shouldn't. Sometimes just sitting next to somebody is all the action that's required and that our voice can get in the way. So the fact is, Paul's very concerned about Timothy's testimony, means his actions, his, how he reaches out, what he says, what he doesn't say. I've tried to take away from that a little bit, okay, thinking really of thinking about what I do and what I don't do and being, having a God view before I do or don't do. Second thing I took away is uh, just the importance of doctrine. And sometimes we, there's a time and a place for everything. There's time and a place when we work with other churches, and I've, I've heard this at a, when I was visiting a church. If you're for Jesus, we're for you. And that's a wonderful sentiment. If we're trying to put on a, I don't know, community picnic where the churches get together and do something for the community, that's a great sentiment. That, that is the bottom line. Wonderful. But when it comes to teaching people, when it comes to teaching kids important things, salvation, things like that, doctrine's a big deal. And what is taught, and if it shades away from the Bible, is a huge deal. And sometimes, as the quote I took out from Stephen Cole, it's really easy to do that and not think it's that big of a deal. Why do you guys so worry about doctrine all the time? You'll notice that a lot of times in the back of our notes, we include the doctrine of grace point and all the biblical references. That's because doctrine is important, and it's on each one of us to check that. And so when I hear somebody talking about, well, our church does this thing that's really awesome and 
never upsets anybody, I think about, well, what is it? <laughs> uh, and I try to have a better ear for making sure what we talk about, when we talk about what's being passed on to kids is authentic. Because there's a lot of people on TV, there's a lot of people who want the, the approval of the crowds. They will water things down or outright twist it so that it's more popular. And sometimes the true and right things aren't all that popular. You don't need to be Gary Knox level of understanding or a Paul Mayhew or a Stephen Cole or a Dallas Seminary grad to suss out what's not true and what you're hearing. I'm none of those things. What I listen for, or if I get a chance to talk to somebody, ask them or listen for, how are you saved? If you were to die this very instant, what do you need to do to be in heaven? And if they answer anything other than John 3.16, anything other than believe in Jesus Christ, I get very nervous. Because if they got that screwed up, I assume a lot of other things are screwed up. Maybe not. But that's my little personal, if you want to call it a litmus test, that I listen for. If it's believe and repent, it's believe and make him Lord of your life, it's believe and do these things, it's believe and say five our fathers, if it's believe and have a little prayer shawl, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's anything other than believe in Jesus Christ, it's not authentic, it's not approved. That's right. The Bible's pretty simple. You can read it. John 3.16 is pretty clear. As Gary likes to say, condition and consequence. What's the consequence of belief? Eternal life. Is there any other condition? No. Okay? But humans, we like to put a lot. It's just it's human nature. We like to add a lot of stuff to that. Listen for that because doctrine makes a difference. I know it's not that exciting to read doctrine sometimes. It's not all that much fun to look up verses it's what God's given us. It's our, it's our primary tool. It's the tool of the approved workman. So, as we've looked at Paul, little guidance to Timothy, the last thing that I took away is, uh, am I like that quarterback? Am I up here tickling your ears, telling you stories, making you laugh? I mean, it's, it's tempting, telling you how wonderful you are, and every decision you've ever made in your life was fine. Don't worry about anything, okay? People do that, and we can do that. We can do that in all sorts of settings. Sometimes you have to be, you know, it's not easy to reach out to people. It's uncomfortable to share the gospel sometimes. It's sometimes uncomfortable to be quiet. That kills me sometimes. But sometimes we got to, okay? We want the approval of the Father. So as we close this out, and close out the time for today and our, our time of the church being gathered together, uh, I think the challenge is to be approved or to remember, maybe, that you are approved, that each one of you has a testimony, that each one of you is a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are approved. That what's been approved to you has been passed on to you through the men and women. Some of them you might never have met, But people have led and have passed on knowledge and wisdom and God's word to many, many different people, and it's come to you, either through his word directly or somebody's taught you how to kind of look that up. And each one of us has this story of all these spiritual ancestors that poured into you. 
each one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, has been empowered by God the Holy Spirit, indwelling within you. You've got God inside of you, his righteousness that's been imputed into you for his work, that you've been adopted by God the Father as one of his children, and that your testimony of the gospel of his Son is authentic. And you can have confidence in that. Next week, we're going to talk about chapter 3, the second half. We're going to talk about a guy that got caught in a flood. It's one of my favorite stories. I've used it before. Hopefully, you forget about it, so it seems new to you next week. Uh, But if you're reading ahead, read all of chapter 3. It's like 10, 12 verses. won't take you very long. And kind of be ready for that. Uh, And if you would stand right now. As our kind of tradition goes, I'd like to close with a blessing from God to you. Uh, This is uh, a promise from the words of Simon Peter. And just remember that you're not in this whole thing alone, that you're not a solo player. You've got God on your side. You have all the people standing around with you on your side. You've got people in China standing on your side and people down in Oregon, that you're all, all of us, we're in this together. Here's a benediction from Simon Peter. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Amen and amen. You are dismissed.